we have a tendency to go a million different directions with our questions of identity. Who am I? What was I made to do? And how are those things connected to my value or the value of others? The Bible is not silent on those questions. And in this series, we're going to dig into the topic of identity in three parts, looking at what it means to be made in God's image, to be a sinner saved from death, and to be made for the purpose of worship. You've probably been hearing some form of this question since you were barely old enough to answer it with words, and it probably began with various adults inquiring, what will you be when you grow up? I once asked two of my sons this question at the table, and my five-year-old said that he would be a worker guy, which I understand to mean he wants to be in construction. My three-year-old, on the other hand, is going to, quote, play music and feed dinosaurs. One is more plausible than the other, but I love that they both answered passionately and with a confidence that makes me a little bit jealous. What are you going to be is a good question, but as we grow and change, so does the question. For one, people begin to have some expectations that your answer to it will become more realistic. At some point, someone mentions that dinosaur feeding musicians aren't in super high demand. A second shift happens within the question, and it's easy to miss if you're not looking for it. We stop asking, what are you going to be? And we start asking, what are you going to do? It's a shift from being to doing, and from who to what. In a culture that loves to define who we are by what we do, how I wish we spent more years talking with our children about who they want to be and not just what they want to do. I wish we spent more energy reminding them that they are made wonderfully in God's image and less time trying to shape them into our own image. Believe me, as a parent, the struggle is real. <laughs> There are some other good questions like how do we identify both as unique individuals created by God and also as the community, Christ's body? How do we understand both being a disciple of Jesus and a disciple maker, a follower and a leader? How do we become fathers and mothers while retaining our identity as sons and daughters? Maybe we need to spend a little less time thinking about what we'll do for a living and more time thinking about what we're living for. I'm not suggesting that doing questions are unimportant, but instead that those questions proceed from being. Even if the world around us desperately wants to see our capability and productivity, we still long to know our identity and purpose internally. Seeking answers to questions about vocation and purpose is vital. I just want to establish that those answers will always proceed from an understanding of identity. And God has a lot to say about our identity. So let's go back to just a few highlights. Genesis 1.26 says we were made in his image and likeness. Psalm 139 verse 14 says we are wonderfully made. And 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 says that in Christ we are called children of God. From our identity as image bearer of God comes our purpose to reflect the glory of God. 
sin causes us to bend away from our God-given identity and leaves us in a condition where we cannot fulfill our purpose. But praise God that we are rescued and redeemed from our sin by Jesus. Our purpose is restored, and now we get to show how worthy our Savior is. We've touched on worship already, but now it's time to dig in. The idea of showing God's worthiness is where the word worship comes from, which means showing the worth. In the book Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer describes this process like this. He says, Being made in his image, we have in us the capacity to know him. But in our sins, we lack only the power. The moment that the Spirit has quickened us to life in regeneration, our whole being senses its kinship to God and leaps up in joyous recognition. In other words, if wonderfully made, image-bearing, redeemed children of God are what we are, then worship is what we do. While our worth is inherent, this response of showing the worth of God is intentional. This joyful recognition, as Tozer puts it, is not a passive activity, but a response in which we choose to engage. So how do we do that? Let's talk about worship. There's a sense in which we worship in everything that we do. We worship or show that God is worthy by the way that we live our lives before him. Romans 12.1 says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The first century audience that this was written to had seen temple worship firsthand, including the sacrifices made as part of it. In one analogy, Paul gave his audience a vivid understanding of both the quality expected of the sacrifice and the total surrender of it. This act of spiritual worship concerned generally living all of life before the Lord in an acceptable way and totally surrendered to him. Maybe a more personal or modern example would be helpful for us as well. I'll admit it. I love my wife. And on the day we were married, I made vows that clearly stated how I would show that love to her in the years to come by being faithful and loving her in all conditions. Over nine years since that day, I strive to show my love for her by making specific choices. I have worked extra hours at jobs that I disliked because I wanted to provide financial stability. I worked fewer hours at jobs that I did like because I wanted to prioritize time with her. Sometimes I do the dishes because I want to surprise her with a clean kitchen, and then I immediately dirty the kitchen afterwards so that I can have dinner with her. Now, Have I perfectly done this? Of course not. Let's be clear, I am a sinful, selfish person who often prioritizes myself and is still becoming like Jesus. When I choose to prioritize my love for her over myself, I am actually loving her in practice. The same choice is true of worship. It is often a choice to act on our love for the Lord instead of our sinful love of self. It very often has less to do with how we feel and is instead motivated by a recognition of who we are and how worthy God is. 
showing that God is worthy should show up as the motivation behind every priority in our lives if we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Colossians 3.23 and 24 describes this type of motivation as doing work as for the Lord and not for men. No matter your occupation, your decided college major, or your choice between dishes or laundry, you can worship God by doing it for his glory. We worship generally in all things by the posture that we have towards God and the repeated decision to honor him with our lives. This is not a passive pursuit, but an active reorienting of our lives for the glory of God. A part of this active reorientation should also include the specific activity of giving praise to God. Looking again to the example of marriage, just imagine a marriage where both husband and wife did all the tasks necessary to operate a home together, but never spoke a word to one another. Never an I love you, never a note or a card, just check marks and checklists and tasks completed day after day. Perhaps this doesn't take as much imagination as you would like. These verbal expressions of love to one another take a different kind of effort than the tasks on a checklist, but they are essential. My mind goes to the cinematic masterpiece, The Princess Bride. At the beginning of the film, the princess repeatedly asks the farm boy to do various farm chores, and he simply responds, as you wish. The narrator lets us in on the secret that he really means, I love you. And by the end of the segment, the princess is scrambling to find just one more thing to ask of the farm boy, just to hear, as you wish, one more time. We see a heart of love demonstrated through actions, but how we also long to hear it expressed. Before we go any further, a clarification here that God does not long to be made complete in the same way Princess Buttercup longed to hear Wesley say, I love you. Our worship does not somehow complete him. He is worthy of it. Psalm 63 verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. The writer recognizes the steadfast love of God and his response is to praise him with words. You may be wondering at this point if we're ever going to get to singing. (laughs) I suspect some of you might be surprised that we're nearing the end of this video with worship in the title and haven't talked about it yet. The truth is the Bible has a lot to say about singing, and it is often an activity paired with the proclamation of praise to God. You'll find that singing comes up well over 100 times in the Bible, either as an instruction to sing to God or an example of a time when people did. So yes, singing is essential and probably deserves a separate discussion altogether. Bear in mind, however, that for our songs to be worship, they must come from a heart that is near to God. A warning is given to the people of God in Isaiah 29, 13, that they were honoring God with their words, but their hearts were distant from him. Jesus takes this a little further in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, and says that their worship was in vain. In other words, they were singing all the right songs, 
but they still failed to worship. We were made in God's image with the created purpose of reflecting the worthiness of a worthy God. And if you're looking for a better understanding of life's meaning and your purpose, start with worship. Begin with knowing and being known by God who both made you and redeems you through the work of Jesus. See the way that he loved you first and respond to that love by holding nothing back. He is worthy of our hearts, our lives, our words, and our songs. I hope that over the course of this series, you have gained a new confidence in your identity as someone made in the image of God. I hope also that your heart has been stirred with affection for Jesus, who redeemed us from our sin and now calls us children of God. If you want to access downloadable versions of all three videos in this series and a printable study guide, all you need to do is subscribe to Biblical-ish via the link below. It's totally free and it also helps me update you on future content. I'll see you next time.